Hey, B. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you a question? Always. What's the one thing when we travel that we always make sure we find? Oh, coffee. You know, bad coffee makes my brain angry. And we've been a lot of places. We've had a lot of coffee. But when we're home, there's only one place that we get coffee from. Yeah. Hacienda Real in Costa Rica. We found this place when we were in Costa Rica a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's a micro roastery using only Costa Rican beans. Their blend is a mix of Arabica and Peaberry. And if you don't know about Peaberry, you need to find out about it because mm. it is amazing. It takes all the bitterness out. All the bitterness out. And we place orders and it's shipped directly to our door. You can get light, medium, or dark roast. You can get ground. You can get whole bean. And it is roasted to order. So there is a date stamped on your coffee so you know when it was roasted and bagged. It's good for a year after you order it. And it is the best coffee that we have ever had. So click the link in our show notes or go to goldenbean.net and use the offer code COFCHR20 for 10% off your order. Hacienda Real. Keep your brain happy. Hey, Dante. Hey, B. Looking pretty smart in your undies. Thanks. I've been doing my deads. <laughs> oh, I can see that. But it's not just what's in them. It's what's on them. Oh yeah, I got on my smart-ass undies. They're not just super comfy. They've got cheeky motivations on them that keep me in the right state of mind. Oh yeah, like we could all use a little brain lift these days, am I right? They're also lovingly made from sustainable, low-impact materials. So we can love the planet and cover our asses all at the same time. Motivate your ass with smart-ass undies. Click the link in the show notes or on the Things We Love page on our website. And remember to enter the discount code CHEATINGONFEAR10 for 10% off your order. Smart ass undies. Cheeky and comfy. Hey everyone, I'm Beatrice. And I'm Dante. And this is Cheating on Fear. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. Ah, what a great day. <laughs> yeah. Why was it such a great day? Like all the reasons why? No. Or just one specific just reason? Just the why? relevant one. To to why we're here. We got to spend the afternoon talking with Dr. Tom Murray. Yes, we love him. We do love Dr. Murray. And we talked about all manner of things today. We really mm-hmm. didn't have... A super tight agenda. Yeah, not something super rigid. No. And we just, uh, he's such an amazing person and resource and authority on stuff, all things sex and relationships. We just kind of wanted to let it go where it went today. Mm -hmm. And we talked about all different kinds of things. And I love his, his candor and his sense of humor and his, you know, no bullshit. Yeah. style <laughs> and um so i i i hope you enjoy this because we so enjoy talking to him and he's become a beloved regular on yes, the podcast on the podcast and uh yeah so i hope you enjoy the episode and and love him as much as we do enjoy everyone welcome back dr murray thank you thank you for having me oh it's always a pleasure yes it's like our checkup <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that's what we should open wide quarter, quarterly check open wide. <laughs> oh my gosh. So speaking of which we were talking about how, you know, you, you suck one dick and you get pigeonholed. Is that something as, that just randomly people start talking about? Yeah. <laughs> but a pigeonholed sucking a dick and you're well, a dude. You know, we're, we're talking about bisexuality and, what, what does that actually mean? Like you were saying, in the dark, a wet pair of lips is a wet pair of lips. Does it matter who they belong to? And, exactly, and, right. And how much, of that, how much of that is societal need to belong to a certain group and the fear of belonging to a different group? Do you, I mean, I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, on, on, like do you think that anybody is truly straight like do you think there are any zeros out there if you want to use the kinsey scale do you think there are any zeros out there if you take if you remove the social stigma yeah when we think about those kinds of labels what are the labels for they're not for us (laughs) right the label is for the whoever the other is right so if i identify if i say i'm straight well why is that important it's important for the other person Right. For the other person to see, am I an option for them or not an option for them? Right. When it's from the person's perspective, it really is about pleasure. You know, is this experience with this person pleasurable? And so you're right. You know, those labels of of, of straight, gay, bisexual are, are, are really for to communicate to other people something but from the individual's perspective, it's really about what I find pleasurable. And maybe I only find people of a particular presentation, you know, if they're female or if they're male, I might only find them pleasurable, right? Uh, and that might help me to choose a label. But if I just stick with, hey, does this feel good? Does it really matter? from whom that feeling is originating. Mm. That to me is what makes group sex situations so interesting because those are the situations where you get into a zone of, it's just a a sensory experience, a multi-sensory experience of touch and taste Mm. and smell and sound. And you're not really thinking about what's going where at any given time. Like I think about some of the situations that we've been in Mm -hmm. and there, as you get deeper into the situation and the mindset, you don't really concern yourself so much about whose hand is that? Is that ball skin? Is this like, you really don't concern yourself as much with what's going where. And you find yourself starting to, do things that are just pleasurable, regardless of all of these labels. So it's such an interesting thing. Like, is there, I understand the concept of heteroromantic, homoromantic, Mm -hmm. but are all of these other orientations just societal constructs so that people can feel okay about what, who can touch them and who they can touch? Right. And who gets to be uh, villainized and who gets to be protected, yeah. right? I mean, right. There's, that, there's that element. You know, there was an awareness that if we just have three options, straight, 
bisexual, gay. Most people go into the straight column, right? Mm -hmm. Then if we add just two more, if we have straight, mostly straight, bisexual, mostly gay, gay, a significant portion of the straight column goes into the mostly straight column. Right. Okay. Right. Especially women. And and what does that tell you? It really is in this day and age, the number of options that people can choose from to best reflect their own experience is, is, is such a breath of fresh air. I mean, it used to be we only had either straight or sinner. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Straight or center were the only two options. And then as you know, culture has evolved, we've gotten more and more, more and more labels. Many of them still fell into that umbrella of center, but still, you know, there's that, that there were more options to choose from. It wasn't too long ago where I became aware that you could be bisexual and it didn't have to be 50, 50. I, I remember that blowing my mind. Like, Oh, wow. That doesn't mean halfway between bisexual doesn't necessarily mean a halfway between gay and straight. And you're like, oh, well, yeah, that, okay, that makes sense. And for me, that made it easier to acknowledge my bisexuality because I'm not romantic, romantically interested in women. I have a strong preference for men, but I'm very attracted to women and, and all that that entails. Right. So- I remember that was such a relief for me to go, oh, okay, so I don't have to like date both or be able to have the capacity to fall in love with both. You don't have a quota you need to meet to keep your buy card. (laughs) I mean, that would be fun. I mean, if I could get an Apple Watch notification on that, it's time for a woman, right? Like it's just so, but yeah, I just find it so interesting. Like, and, and I don't, that's one of the places where I think, men are discriminated against and are at a disadvantage because you men don't seem to have that space to be able to express themselves in the context of what is pleasurable and what isn't like you can't even experiment as much as women can well can. without risking without risking exactly some social standing right yeah it comes with consequences potentially and so it just like anything else that isn't really accepted, it drives it underground mm-hmm. and creates a lot of shame Certainly. for men, I think, right? Like if there was a secret, well, you know, I've, you know, I've sucked a few dicks in my time or I've had guys suck my dick or, or tried, you know, anal sex or something like that. Like there's no, there's no coming back from that. Yeah. Instead of, instead of you're going to have to edit this. What is her name? Kelly Ter- I kissed a girl and I liked it. Oh, Katy Perry. Katy Perry. I kissed a girl and I liked it. I sucked a dick and I liked it. I'm not editing shit. I love that. That's gold. Let's write that song. <laughs> it tasted like cherry chapsticks. <laughs> there was a rainbow of chapsticks. You know, that. that I remember I was in my mid thirties. And I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, a lesbian friend. And I was saying about how I identified as bisexual. And she goes, no, you're not, you're gay. You just haven't decided yet. Yeah. And I remember saying to her, uh, I'm 35 fucking years old. I think I would know by now. Yeah. Right. 
But in a similar way, be to what you described, is that when I envision my life, you know, when I'm in my 70s, rocking in the rocking chair on my front porch, and I look to my left to see who's sitting with me, it is always a woman. I don't, I, I, I don't have that romantic mm-hmm. pull towards, towards men like I do with women. Right. I really like eating pussy. I cannot imagine a life where that was no longer an option. Which is usually like the metric of like, are you gay? Well, I don't know. Do you like eating pussy? Yes. Then you're not gay. That seems to be the like, that is the line. That's the Rubicon, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. Well. There's a whole bunch of sex in the city scenes popping up in my head right now. Cause we were talking about like Samantha who used to be like right out on the edge mm-hmm. now is she's just sex positive now. Yeah, right. She was wildly. She was wild back then. But she, she. There's an episode where Carrie is dating a bisexual man, and they're sitting at brunch. And Carrie's like, "So, he told me he's bisexual." And Samantha goes, "Well, I could have told you that. He took you ice skating." (laughs) (laughs) And then they have this conversation about whether or not bisexual men exist. And it's like, oh, I, I think it's just, I, I just think it's a layover on the way to gay town. Yeah, which oh. is the stigma that's been around. That's for the so stigma. Long. That's exactly right. what, yeah. what your friend said to you. Yes. And, right. and then Charlotte pipes up and says, you know what? I think these people just need to like pick a side and stay there. Oh, like, don't, none of this going back and forth kind of thing. Stop like, being greedy. Stop being greedy. And, and then Samantha, I think it's in a different scene. She says, I think that. At some point, it's not going to be about orientation or how you identify. It's just just pleasure, just humans right. and pleasure. And right. that's exactly what you're talking about. And so I realize that it's she's a fictional character, but she was ahead of her time in in that sense of why are we so obsessed with labels and how we identify? And like you were saying, this is about how other people can decide whether or not to choose us as suitable partners. And a lot of bisexual men have trouble being honest with their female partners because as soon as like a lot of straight women aren't comfortable with the thought of other dicks in their man's life, right? (laughs) It's like, what is it that makes that dick so scary? Why are dicks so scary in that context? I mean, I understand like unwanted dicks are are scary, but... (laughs) But in that context, like why that such a problem? Well, I think it, it boils down to for a lot of people, does that is his bisexuality a threat to the integrity of our relationship? In other words, how will I know that I can be enough? You're not. Oh, <laughs> yeah. you can be. You know, to be to be heteroflexible or to be bisexual isn't synonymous with being non-monogamous. Right. Right. One can still be very quite monogamous. So one can, you know, be bisexual and have a monogamous relationship with their partner and never be, never have the need or drive to be with the, the sex that is missing from their relationship. And so, but the threat I think is that, you'll not be satisfied with the one partner. And I think, you know, you can be, I think there certainly is that you can be fully satisfied if you lean towards monogamy. 
right? So the, that issue is less about sexual orientation and more an issue about romantic orient or um, not romantic orientation, but relationship model or relationship orientation. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And the assumption though, of course, is that if you're in a straight relationship, you clearly won't be interested in having sex with someone else. I mean, of course, that's just not yeah. accurate. No. People find their way to find pleasure in however avenues they can find it. Exactly. Well, and, and, and that's to your point. I mean, that is an issue. The sex that you're not having is an issue regardless of who you're not having the sex with. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a straight relationship, there's lots of other people that you're not having sex with, that your partner's not having sex with, that they could be or might want to. But if you've made a monogamous commitment to someone, you have agreed to forego that sex. Yeah, right regardless of your orientation. It's yeah. such a weird, it's, it's such an odd thing. And I don't know if I'm, I don't know if it's, it's something that I do, like where I shame myself being bisexual. I don't share that with a lot of people because, because of that stigma of being greedy, of not being able to make up my mind, of like- Well, you don't with your lesbian friends. I don't talk about it very much, no. And they're lovely. I love them dearly, yeah. but I feel weird. And I think they know, like, I think I've given them enough information that they could piece that together, but we've never really had a conversation about that. And I always feel self-conscious talking about it because it's almost like you, you get this feeling of like, the pool is so small. Why are you dipping your toe in my pool? <laughs> right? Like, and, and they've never said anything awful to me. This is everything that's going on in my head. But I've talked to people who have said that, that they have a hard time being a bisexual woman because they feel like people are going to force them to choose one or the other and, or stop being so greedy or stop being such a slut or whatever it is, right? <laughs> don't tell me to stop being a slut. Don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. and, and that story that you tell about your friend where you think, well, who are you to tell me, especially at, your, at the age that you were, Right? I don't know. How do you, like, you've been awfully quiet over there. <laughs> do you want to dip your toe in anything? You <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's- We know you're into shrimping. That's right. <laughs> there seems to be this trend. And I think you see it more with, in, in, I mean, you always saw it with women in terms of like how that, their bisexuality a lot of women who identify as bisexual, bisexual generally did it later in life than in earlier in life. And it seems to be a little bit more common now, younger and younger for women to identify in their adult sexual lives as being bisexual. But, and I don't know if it's like observer bias, but it seems to be for men that there is a lot more acceptance around activities that traditionally might be considered gay and i'm thinking specific specifically of like pegging right mm. so if a guy is pegged for the listeners who don't know it's they're being fucked by a woman who's wearing a strap on or something along those lines mm -hmm. so mechanically it's something going in the butt right right it just happens to be sort of attached to a woman and in that scenario it's not sort of attached well it well not <laughs> okay like right. it's not yours uh, okay right that, i mean like that i would be so dangerous with a penis I'm just saying. <laughs> b has some bde right <laughs> 
but if if but if that penis is biological and attached to a man, all of a sudden that act is gay, right? I've talked to a lot of young people, youngish people who think that um, if stuff goes in your butt, it's a- gay. It doesn't matter. A- anal anal sex is gay, even if it's with a woman, and pegging is gay. So it's the butt. It's the butt. If you anything play with do, the butt, anything to do with the butt, doing is- the butt. Ow, oh, sexy, sexy. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with doing the butt all night long. <laughs> Do you remember that? And it, I remember that song. <laughs> I remember that song. That's going way back. Yeah, that's that a deep song? cut. Uh, no, that is a deep cut. That might yeah. be a little bit before my music listening. Time. I'm still saying we're going to get somebody to compose. I sucked a dick and I liked it. <laughs> doing that. I'll have my partner work on you. She's a, you know, she's a music head. She's there music you go. Head. There yeah. you go. Let's do that. Anyway. Yeah. So I just, I feel like that is the leading edge of opening things up about men being able to be more open Mm. about the fact that maybe they might be interested in doing things that would traditionally have categorized them because of that by invisibility and especially in men about that you you can't, you're not bi, you're just gay, you don't know it yet. To be able to be straight or straight-ish but suck a dick or yeah. mess around with another guy. I, I, or... I, the word penetration keeps coming up in my mind. So anytime a man is penetrated in any way, that is perceived as, as gay behavior, right? Because even if you're, even if you're receiving a blowjob, you're still penetrating that person's mouth. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that most people have at least once in their life stuck their own finger up their ass. Probably. Yeah. Right. And, and so there's this natural inclination to want to explore one's body. Mm-hmm. And then we want to, though, again, we're, we're a society, we're, we're a tribalistic society. Mm-hmm. So we're on the constant lookout of whether you're in the in group or are you in the out group? And that's what labels are really for. Are you an in group or are you in the out group? Mm-hmm. And I don't want to have anything threaten my standing within my in group, right? And so if I, if there are these threats to my standing within the in group, I'm going to want to somehow exclude the potential, right? For that threat to negatively impact me. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that kind of, that's a nice little segue. Let's talk about the out group for a minute. Yes. And how, it seems like there are a lot of people feeling threatened right now because of someone who came out not too long ago, Lil Nas X, who released a video last week. Well, famous, uh, kind of prominent for Old Town Road. Yes. That was his big sort of jumping off point. Yes. And then after that, he came out as being- He came out after that. Yeah. And so last week he released a video and I- I didn't know anything about it until I saw a couple of response videos on TikTok. And I, and I was like, I got to stop all this because I got to watch this video. And my, my first impressions were, one, I was like, this is phenomenal. I was giddy watching this video. It's three and a half minutes long. And I was like, oh my God, this is, this is like a fantastic, frothy confection, WAP for gay men, triumphant... <laughs> fuck you to sexual shame to anyone who told me that I was going to hell for Mm. being gay. Mm. You know what? Okay. I'm going to hell. 
I'm going in thigh high boots on a stripper pole <laughs> and I'm going to give the devil a lap dance and then I'm going to snap his fucking neck and take his right? horns. Yeah. yeah. And that's how that's going. And I was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> I'm assuming you've seen it. Mm-hmm. What you just saw it last night. Yes. I waited because you told me about it and I'd heard I'd heard some some commentary on it. I was like, okay, but I want to watch it with with B because I'm curious what your what your impressions were of it. Well, it's it's someone who's taking a narrative and owning it. Yeah, right, owning it and and doing it in a provocative way that goes at the heart of the insecurities that the people who are promoting the message. Mm-hmm. Right, have they? They have these. It, it, it's it's whether we're talking about uh, homosexuality or whether we're talking about premarital sex. Right, it's this 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 threat of of eternal damnation for being who you are as sexual beings. Right, and using the threat of eternal damnation as the means to get you back into the quote-unquote straight and narrow. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it makes other people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Makes other people uncomfortable. And so we'll give these messages, and particularly within the Black community, you know, being gay in the Black community, being a gay male in the Black community is very very difficult. Yeah, very challenging. Oh, yeah. Like, he's been very clear that he was brought up, you know, told that that's what would happen to you if you know if you were anything other than straight and god-fearing and you know that kind of thing and and i i love how you talked about the narrative i love how he takes that and removes all the fear and threat from from that narrative of like turning it turning it on its head and like dressing people up as marie antoinette and like just these over the top. I thought that. But they're all him, aren't they? In the video, I think, like I think they're all him, everybody yeah. in all the different costumes all are his, all versions all of him, right? Him, they're all yeah. him. It's just yeah, and and you know the imagery of the snake climbing up on top of him, and you know just that it's it's so yeah, the Garden of Eden. Yeah, yeah, it's just so and and like so blasphemous and he's in pink when he's being judged and it's just it just goes on and on and and it's so campy and gorgeous and like i i'm over it i'm over your fear and your shame and your garbage and i'm gonna do what i want and the the response watching the responses tells you a lot more about who's responding yes sometimes people make it really easy for you to see exactly who they are. Mm. And it's things like this, that when, when people respond in a certain way and you go, Oh, wow. Thank you for that. I don't think, I don't think we can be friends anymore. <laughs> like it's a lot of, and I don't know how, how coincidental this is, but the emergence of the new orientation of the super straight male, have you heard about that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, basically a reaction i don't know if directly to this but when you talk about us moving towards a more broader definition of sexuality and orientation and more options for people and and a blurring of those lines that were so hard and fast before 
in response to that, mostly cis het males, white, white men, white males have claimed another orientation of the super straight. It's like a minus one on the Kinsey scale. (laughs) I think it's minus 10 on the Kinsey scale. (laughs) And it's, it's just so interesting to see the the expression of a level of insecurity yes. and yeah. fragility. I, I mean, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is fragility, it, right? It, and it, it's it's uh, you know I don't know this to be absolutely true, but it reminds me of the nofap or the incel devotees. You know that there's this total sense of feeling out of control that in order to live their life as they see it, they have to have these very rigid rules that make navigating life sensical, right? People, people are wanting that certainty. They want to know that a expectation that there are these sets of rules that if I do these things, my life will be enjoyable, right? It will be free of suffering. Can you explain the the nofap movement a little bit? Yeah, it's it's just it's predominantly the criterion is no masturbation, right? That that masturbating creates all of these various problems for people, um, and then the incel. If you're familiar with that, the incel is involuntary celibate and mm-hmm. is essential. This belief that my experience of people having fallen prey to that group is that they're entitled to sex and women are, are conspiring against them and not having them have access to sex. And it, it often, I mean, we've, we've had some incidents here. The trial was the, quite the, recently. Yeah, it was earlier this year of the Toronto van incident. So it was an incel that rented a, a van and proceeded to mow down um, pedestrians, on pedestrians the standing on the sidewalk and killed 13, wow. I yeah, believe. Was... 10 out of 13 were women and, oh, and basically had, you know, referred to sort of the King of the Incels manifesto as reason for this. And actually in the trial, it came out that the only reason he stopped was because he hit someone and their drink hit the windshield and he couldn't see anymore and the windshield wipers weren't working. So that was the only reason he stopped the van was because he couldn't see anymore to make sure. And it just a horrific case. And uh, I, I don't know if the trial's over, but it's yeah, ongoing. No, did it, he get, it, it did finished. He, he, he had put a defense out of autism Yes, being being he was, you know, he didn't understand. And so therefore, yeah, I didn't have empathy or you couldn't understand human emotion and whatever. So that's, that's why that was rejected. And that was rejected by the judge. I yeah, think. which and the experts in the field were obvious and obviously activists for people with ASD were like, no, this just because you have ASD doesn't mean that you're going to go mow people down. Like we yeah. can't be conflating this as a as a reason no. for it. Um, but he was he was convicted. So the idea behind no fap is is that you have better control and clarity over your over your life if you're not jerking off all the time like, is and that, watching that, pornography. Yeah, watching it's, a, pornography. it's the it's the combination, and and it's it's part of too that that villainizing of of pornography use, mm. right? Mm. And as a sex therapist, I generally find that it isn't the pornography that's causing the problem for people. It is the masturbation that's causing the problem, but it's not the, it's not masturbation 
in, in its entirety, it's usually how they're masturbating. If they're masturbating too much, if you will, and, and in the style of how they're masturbating, if they're using their hand all the time, and then they're trying to have vaginal intercourse with someone, yeah. then it's good. just a very different experience. And so, you know, taking the time off, you know, two to three weeks of, of no manual masturbation, they'll, they'll generally have an experience a quote unquote normal experience return. But this whole, you know, this, this, you know, we lose your vitality when you orgasm or, or, you know, there's, you're losing your essence. I mean, there's just such a perpetuation of old, old Mm -hmm. beliefs about masturbation that are just recycled, recycled, recycled. And so no fap is just another version of the same old, same old. That theme comes up in the manosphere and the red pill philosophy quite a bit about how you shouldn't have to masturbate because you should be banging chicks all the time. So you shouldn't have to masturbate. And if you do masturbate, that makes you a beta male cuck that has no power and no, no mastery over women and, and, and that kind of thing. So it's, it's all those things kind of get conflated and you're right that that sort of recycling of myths about masturbation and I don't agree with Joe Rogan on a lot of things, but he, I've heard him talk about how, you know what? It's healthy to do that, man. You make better decisions if you're clear, like jerk off first and then make a decision. Don't, hmm. don't make foolish decisions while you're all built up, up and, and yeah. <laughs> and, and I, like I say, there's, a, I'm not a giant fan, but, but that there's, there's really, and, and the health benefits of masturbation are well-documented and and there's not really much science behind that withholding or or the no fap kind of is 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 there i mean as a sex therapist do you ever aside from if there's a groove carved into someone where they're having trouble having partnered sex and they want to have partnered sex is there any any science behind not masturbating like masturbation is very healthy very healthy in fact one of the common questions I'll ask a couple who come in with sexual problems. I'll ask them whether they masturbate and if they feel comfortable masturbating in front of their partner. And I have found over and over people who are able and comfortable masturbating in front of the partner tend to report better sex lives with their partner. And why do you think that is? Ultimately, what is masturbation but an expression of owning one's own pleasure? Right. And, and you, you, you will regularly hear people say, particularly women, that it's easier for them to orgasm when they're alone than when they're having partnered sex. Right. And I think part of that is you're not having to worry about or think about anything else. This is just a date with yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you're focused on the sensual experience. And so if you get to to a place where you are able to masturbate with your partner, that is also affirming that the pleasure, the pleasure that you're having in that moment is the priority. That's so interesting because I think from a woman's perspective, if you feel comfortable enough to masturbate in front of your partner, that indicates a level of trust and vulnerability that I think women need to have in a sexual relationship with their partner in order to fully express themselves. And I think men that are able to do that, also there's an air of vulnerability, but I also think there are a lot of men that are threatened by their female partner's vibrators yeah, and don't want to have 
anything to do with that. Like they, they, it's this unspoken, you know, thing that you, you just don't talk about it. You certainly don't incorporate it. So I, I can see where that comes from, where if partners can masturbate in front of each other using toys or not, that indicates an acceptance of each other and that neither partner is threatened by the other partner's ability to, ple- to pleasure themselves. That's, that's so huge. Mm. Do you have anything to say? <laughs> I'll pipe I mean, up. Don't okay, worry. All right. I, just, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to mute you. No, you're not muting. Okay. Me. There is that belief again, that, that false belief. I should be enough. Yeah. I should be enough. I should be enough. Or, or my partner should be enough. Right. My partner should be enough. I've heard that plenty of times. I'll ask clitoris owners. I'll say when you've, when you're having penetrative sex, do you touch yourself? Do you masturbate while you're having penetrative sex? Because for a lot of people, they can't, they don't experience an orgasm alone just from penetration. And for them, that's too much. That's, that's masturbating. And that's something that they've been told their whole life that they shouldn't do. When you have that pleasure-focused orientation over a performance-focused orientation, when you have a pleasure-focused orientation, then you're keyed into, okay, what do I have to do in this moment to have the best moment I can have? Mm. Whether that's fingering yourself, whether that's you know, reaching over to the, the drawer and pulling out that vibrator, and to, to have a partner who also is encouraging they're the other to have the most pleasurable experience that they can have. And that it isn't a reflection of their aptitude for having sex. Right. And, and you're right. It doesn't seem related, but it is related when what we were talking about before about if we can move to a pleasure oriented experience rather than just labeling everything and categorizing everything and you know, this belongs with this, but this doesn't belong over here. And this isn't okay. And that means this, and this is a threat to me. And like, how does pleasure have room with all of that going on? Mm. Right. It's, it's, it's just such an interesting thing and how much you can tell about a couple just by asking them that simple question. Mm. Dante, you brought up earlier about the strap on. Mm -hmm. And uh, on occasion, if I, if I have a patient who has erectile disappointment, Right. Different than erectile dysfunction. Aww, right? I'll say to them, you know, if you want to guarantee that you'll have an erection every time, I would recommend that you wear a strap on dildo. Yep. And the clients that I have had who followed my recommendation, they get an erection. Wow. Right? Because the pressure's off. Right. You have, you, you've moved into that pleasure orientation where what the purpose is right now is to have a pleasurable experience. I can wear the strap on. We're guaranteed to have a pleasurable experience because for a lot, particularly a lot of men, they experience pleasure in seeing their partner experience pleasure. Mm-hmm. And so they're having a good time. And then they, they notice, oh, their erection occurs, right? Because the pressure to have an erection has been taken off the table. Yeah, penises are funny things. They're finicky like that. Biologically, they can work just fine, but it can just it just up up in the head can really fuck with things for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and as a clitoris owner, yes, you are. It's difficult to know how to respond appropriately. 
Like you, you talk about the disappointment and it's like, um, I think I've heard Dan Savage say before, like if you're throwing a funeral for that dick because it's just not happening that day, you know, that is going to make that headspace yeah. worse and worse and worse every time. Yeah. Because the next time you're worried about what's happened last time and then it happens this time. And oh, oh what if it happens next time? Well, you're pretty much guaranteeing it's going to happen yep. next time. So even even the 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 term change from dysfunction to disappointment makes it sound like eh, it's just shit that happens sometimes like it just <laughs> and would you i would imagine that the narrower people's definition of what sex is the more that's a problem exactly that's exactly right yeah that that when they think sex is only penetration and they worry that they're not going to be able to penetrate then that anxiety creates that very thing that they're afraid of i'll ask of clients with, with erectile disappointment, I'll say, what percentage of the time are you willing to not have an erection when you want one? And they look at me like, um, never. I want an erection every time I want one. So you're wanting and expecting an erection 100% of the time. Yeah. Well, no wonder you're so stressed out about it. <laughs> if there's not space there, to have a good time without an erection, then the pressure is going to be really, is going to be on. And if you compound that by having a partner who somehow shames or embarrasses you or takes it personally, oh, you mustn't be all that into me if you can't get an erection, then that just, you know, adds even more layers to that complexity. Oh yeah, I mean- And that's very common. You know, that, that, that people take their worth is tied up to either the partner's erection or the partner's orgasm. It's remarkable. That's the way we're socialized. Yeah, like sex is supposed to, it's goal-driven, right? Like we're doing this to get to this end point, which is everybody coming at the same time. Well, and that, yeah, that's, that's oh, something. Yeah. I mean, we talk, we've talked before about how Hollywood ruins right. everything yeah. for us, yeah. ruins yeah. love for us, ruins sex for us. You know, everything's perfect. Everybody looks amazing. There's three pumps. They both come. It's over. They cuddle. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what? First of all, that doesn't seem fun at all. And, you know, I mean, we took some time to warm up today. <laughs> Everybody needs some time. <laughs> just need some time to warm up a little bit. Like it's just it's and and porn isn't much better because everybody's all ready to go from oh, the time they start shooting. They're not just ready to go. It's like, oh, so we're gonna do anal now, and it's right away, yeah, off we exactly, go. No yeah. prep, no warm-up, nothing, right? So it sets that expectation that it sh if it doesn't work like that, then you're a failure at it because this is the model on how everything is supposed to be, right? And, and when it is, when it is a performance or when it is, you know, orgasm driven, where it's like, if we both don't come at the same time or at all, then it was a waste of time. What a horrible, okay. I'm going to share if that's oh, okay. I'm going to share something. This will be a first. No. Oh yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm usually so closed and, 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 and I've been telling you, you need to be more open. You know? <laughs> so I quite enjoy morning sex. That's, I, I like that, you know, before the, the world comes crashing in. However, I have a job and, and sometimes I have to go to that job when I wake up in the morning. And so on the mornings we're together, we don't have a lot of time 
to kind of hang out and, and do all that stuff. And I have said to him, you know, sometimes I feel like I don't like I'm stuck between do we not have sex at all? Or do we do stuff for five minutes and then, or 10 minutes and I have to get up and go to work. And what is your response? Oh, always. Always what? Always together. Always 10 minutes rather than zero yeah, minutes. Yeah, then zero minutes, a hundred percent. I'll take five or 10 minutes of, of just, of being intimate and whatever yeah. that looks like. Yeah. And then, oh, you go, okay, well, I'll see you later today. Like, uh, that's fine. Like, or versus not. And, and that was something, that was something that I needed to communicate to him about because I still had those remnants of, well, if there's not enough time for him to come, never mind. I'm not going to come because right. I've got this clock ticking in my head and, so why and, bother? and already thinking about the things I need to do today at my job or wherever it is. And he's not going to, he probably won't cause there's not enough time. And so we should just not, we should just wait until we have enough time. And his thought was, no, I, I would like to have, even if it's just five minutes or 10 minutes of whatever it is, I'd rather have that. And what are, what an amazing feeling to remove that, the end point and just go, yeah, let's just take that time, that five minutes, that 10 minutes, yeah. just to be intimate and enjoy each other's bodies for that time and then go on with our day. I describe that fast food sex versus fine dining sex. <laughs> yeah. Right. And sometimes you, that's all that you can do is run into the, you know, get in, get the fast food and get out and, and go on to the next thing. And then there are moments where you have a, a lot more time and you can make it a special in a, in a, in a different way. And, and draw out the pleasurable experience. But now you have options, right? You have the option, oh, we can have fast food sex or we can, we can have fine dining sex. And that connection that that creates mm -hmm. instead of waiting, and I think this is what happens with a lot of couples is they wait for the perfect moment. You know, they wait for the perfect time when, you know, it's they're alone and they have all, all day or all night or whatever it is. And if you wait for that, but I think you told, you read an article to me about people that people in relationships that were struggling through the pandemic and struggling to keep connected. And there was like one thing that, that was keeping people connected more than anything else. And what was that thing? I don't remember. Oh, it was. <laughs> Put me on the spot. I'm trying Sorry. to remember the article. Sorry. It was like, it was a, it was a, a six second kiss. Oh, oh yes. Kissing yes, right. for six seconds. Six seconds, yeah. And I mean, as a, it, as a as a jujitsu girl, I think well, that's long enough to render somebody unconscious with a choke. But what were you gonna say? Well, I I, I remember the article now, and it was yeah. like it was some clickbaity title of "Do this one thing to and it'll completely change your sex life." Kind of and thing. your relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I was like, "Well, I got to read this." So. Yeah, and then we and it's like, "All right, let's time it. Let's see how long that actually is." And when you think about most people do this kind of kiss, like, right? They do that. Six seconds seems like an eternity. Mm -hmm. But what it does is it changes things from like a little buddy kind of familial contact to intimate contact. Well, intentional yeah. contact with someone as opposed to just, you know, glancing by, right? Right. And so that fast food sex, as you, as you so eloquently referred to it, is similar to that six second kiss yeah. where it's, 
it's that intimate that check in. Yeah. And, and that connection, even if it's just for five minutes or 10 minutes, and then it's like, okay, I got to get up. And I mean, you're, you're very good about, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are like, do you really have to get up right now? Like, can't you just stay like, and then, and then making somebody feel shitty about where they have to be and what they have to do. You're awesome about that where it's like, I got to get up now and you go, okay. And you know, shut I, me I'm a little worse about it. You're I'm terrible. Like, I'm like, Oh, I can go another five minutes. It's cool. <laughs> I don't need to get up right now. Like. And I'm like, Get out of me. You get, gonna- <laughs> get out of me. <laughs> All right. You got to get in the shower. Get out of me. <laughs> you have to leave. You have to make me a coffee before you go. <laughs> and- those deposits, yeah. you know, those, those little moments, you know, relationships are built by the little moments. And you're making these deposits, you know, throughout the day and throughout the week, and and you're adding to your emotional bank account, and and then and when there are moments where you have to withdraw, because those moments happen, shit happens, right? And so you're gonna they're gonna withdraw from the emotional bank account, but because you have such a surplus there, it's barely detectable, right? It doesn't have that much of an impact. But for those partners, like you described, who are constantly, oh, you know, why do you have to go? Or we don't ever spend any time together. And it's just negative energy, negative energy. Well, every time you have that negative interaction, you're withdrawing from the emotional bank account. And negative withdrawals are five times more impactful than one positive interaction is helpful, right? So you can deplete pretty quickly and get into the, what I call emotional bankruptcy, right? You can go into the, the red pretty quickly. And, and that's what happens, right? Is that, that there's not enough of those little moments where you're doing it constantly over time to then have a relationship where it's fun and you're uh, able to have fast food sex and, and see it as an enjoyable experience and then move on, right? That that can be enough for that moment. I feel like for you, and this and this is an important thing for everyone, I think, because I think the difference with that is, is that sends you the message that I don't want to have sex because I don't want to have sex with you. I don't want to have sex because I don't have time to do it properly. But what that fast food sex does and those little interactions, that sends the message, I still have desire for you. I want to be with you. Mm-hmm. I feel... I'm attracted to you. I have that desire for you, but I also, you know, but, but I also don't have time to do the things that I want to do and to have that space to say, that's okay. You can, you can show that desire for me for five minutes because I think what, what starts to that emotional bankruptcy, I love that term that you use because that's exactly what it feels like. And that's where the resentment starts to build. I feel like when people feel that they're not desired by their partner and wanted by their partner. And really, isn't that what everyone wants? Everybody wants it. Everybody wants it. And we're on the, we're, we're on the lookout for evidence that we are special in our partner's eyes, that we have a special kind of relationship. In other words, if you're giving everyone that peck on the cheek, then what makes our relationship special? But when you kiss me for six seconds, I know that you're unlikely kissing everybody for six seconds. So that makes our relationship special. special. Yeah, absolutely. 
I'm just, there was something that you posted not too long ago where you were talking about if, if you don't give your partner that attention or that feeling of desire, then someone else will. Someone else will. And that speaks to exactly what we're just talking about. So that, and, and this is what I'm seeing a lot again, when we talk about the manosphere and that kind of stuff is the idea of the loyal, of loyal women. Can mm. women be loyal? Are they incapable of being loyal? Cause they're just monkey branching from one person to another, whoever's giving them the most attention. And I, I'm sure on the other side, women are talking about, can men be loyal? Are there any loyal men? Or, and how does that narrative kind of fit into what you were just talking about with that post about getting attention from your partner where it's like, is, is everybody not vulnerable to that? If they're not getting that attention and that desire from their partner, someone else is going to fill that void. Yeah, you know, we have so many demands placed on us. And what that moral hazard, I think I'm also referencing that concept of the moral hazard, right, which is that this idea of we have this marriage certificate, and and that that certificate is going to protect our, our relationship. So I don't have to do the work of investing in the relationship today because my anticipation is that you'll be here tomorrow and I'll do it tomorrow. But of course, tomorrow never comes. Yep. Right. And so over time, that relationship begins to atrophy. It needs time and attention. It needs to know that it's important, right? More important than these other things, whatever these other things are. Because when someone doesn't feel wanted and someone else out there says, hey, good looking. Hey, (laughs) I find you really fascinating. Hey, you seem so talented. Hey, you're so smart. Whatever it is, you know, all those compliments be like, oh, someone appreciates me. Someone sees me as valuable. Most marriages don't end because they're terrible. Most marriages end because someone wants a better one. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. They want to they feel wanted, desired. You use that term moral hazard. That was something I've heard you say that before. Can you define that for us? Because I, I think that's a very, very interesting psychological term that I don't think a lot of people think about in terms of relationships. Yeah. Moral hazard is a term that comes out of the insurance industry. Essentially, it was this realization that when people have insurance, they tend to take less care of the thing because they know that insurance will pick it up. So healthcare, for example, people with health insurance tend to use health insurance or healthcare more than if they don't have health insurance. Right. Right or renters tend to take less care of their home than homeowners. Renters know that, hey, if something breaks, someone else will be in, will take care of it. So in a similar way, there's this observation that in, that in marriage, you have this idea that you're going to be married for life, right? You're married for life, therefore, I don't have to really attend to it because I'm guaranteed to be married for life. And I, you know, particularly uh, was saying that maybe these marriage certificates should come up, have an expiration date that 
they you know are good for five years and then you can choose to re-up yeah and if if you knew that your your marriage was going to end in five years, you like may show up a little, yeah, you may show up a little differently. Yeah. You know, hopefully, especially if you want your partner to re-up, you may show up in a way that encourages them to re-up. I, I swear this is true. I've been divorced for 10 years now. And at the time, I remember saying to a friend of mine, it would be so interesting if, marriages were like mortgages where you 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 find someone that you'd like to have children with if that's what you want to do you do that you know the initial term is for like eight years or however long it takes to have a couple of kids and get them toilet trained and then you go okay so here we are with the two kids that are pretty toilet trained (laughs) toilet trained and pretty much on their own what do you want to do now do you want to continue to be together or do you want to live separately and co-parent these kids or what would you like to do? And it's, I mean, a ridiculous, you know, idea, idea. A pie in the sky idea yeah. because there's feelings involved and all that kind of stuff. And, and once you introduce reject possible rejection into, into a scenario, that shit's not going to work. But it was, the, it's the same kind of thing that you're saying. How would people behave differently if they felt like, okay, well, everyone's going to have a choice at the end of this term. And you can take this out if you want. Okay. But when we heard your ex-wife on that presentation Mm -hmm. talking about, she had talked about how she'd always struggled with her weight and she was at a certain weight and you guys were talking about opening your marriage up. And she was like, all of a sudden she was hyper aware of someone else seeing her naked. And she said, and I quote, she said, I was about 240 pounds at the time. And I thought, well, who cares? The only person that has to see me naked is my husband and he doesn't care. So why should I take care of this? And I immediately asked you, like, how does that make you feel? (laughs) Yes, I, oh, oh, don't get me started. (laughs) Did it on purpose? Oy vey. I, oh. The whole notion that our spouses should just love us, no matter how we show up, they should just love us, is outrageous. That particularly, again, particularly if you are choosing monogamy as the governing institution for your relationship, you have a responsibility to show up in attractive ways to your partner. And, and be asking about that, right? Uh, to be attending to the sexual needs of your partner. This whole idea of just letting ourselves go because we, we, and it happens all the time, you know, couples, and then they wonder why they're not attracted to their partner anymore. And then I get pushback. Well, some people have said, well, it's clear that you've never been fat in our culture. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm like, um, just because I appear thin now doesn't mean I've always been thin. Mm. Having grown up, I was very obese as a teenager. Mm. Right. And then went to college and, and took matters in my own hand. So I, I understand very deeply what it means to be a large person in, in our uh, society. I don't expect that 
a person who, who, who found me attractive at one size is going to find me attractive at a different size, right? And we want to shame the person who's a, who, who's, who found us attractive. We want to shame them for losing attraction. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. And it's, it's, it's infuriating, really. <laughs> I, I wanted to, to get into this with you because this concept often gets conflated with the body positivity movement and the self-love movement. Yeah. And I think you and I talked about before about you can love yourself, yes. but don't expect that your partner will, right? That your partners can, their, their opinions can change. Yep. You know, you, and I'm all for love yourself. Absolutely. 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 But the, it's kind of, we can flip this, right? We can flip it to people who no longer feel like they want to have sex, but then get upset that their partner had an affair. Okay. Right. It is okay for you to choose. It's okay for you to, to not be interested in sex anymore, but it's not okay for your, to, for you to expect that your partner will also not be interested in sex to unilaterally cancel your partner's sex life because you don't yeah. want to have sex anymore. Right. So in essence, that flipping it, that, that, you know, body positivity, great. That's wonderful. And I, and I hope that for everybody, but then to expect that my partner's attraction to me needs to remain constant, right. That I, that, that my view of myself is directly tied to how they should view me is just it's a way of thinking that is riddled with its own problems its own cognitive errors do you have any comment on that <laughs> on how that made you feel like yeah. when you heard that well it, i mean obviously it's it's retrospectively like you i mean well no it, 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 yeah i mean i've been i've been separated from my ex for a couple of years now but it was an issue when we went to counseling mm-hmm. about desire and and wanting to feel desired and this attitude that was expressed there it was like well where are you going you're here so I don't have to make the effort or do these things because and nobody likes to feel like they're taken for granted and yeah when 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 I heard that I was like wow <sighs> Yeah. Well, and this is why I'm I'm here now. <laughs> yes, right. Because because that's what that's what that's what I was up against in the relationship. And if that's the opinion of the other person in the relationship, and you're not okay with that, then there is no moving forward. That's just where it is. And obviously, then you know it was worth it to put the effort in and to do all the things for somebody else and not for your partner also kind of makes you feel devalued like you're just not worth it you're not worth the best version of your partner yeah it's reserved for somebody else who who doesn't have to be there right years ago i had a couple that i was seeing and the wife had had gastric bypass and so had lost a lot of weight and she became resentful that her husband actually was had become more attracted to her weight loss like why why all of a sudden he wants to have sex with me you know now that I'm thinner and I resent that that only because I'm thinner 
uh, does he want to have sex with me? Uh, why couldn't he find me attractive then? And so I just simply asked her, I said, well, when you were larger, did you find yourself attractive? And she said, no. And I said, so what you're saying to me is that you wanted it to be easier for him to do what was hard for you. Wow. And, and that helped to reframe the situation that if it was hard for me, then it's okay that it was also hard for him. That if I couldn't find a way to love me at my size then, then I can accept that it was difficult for him to be able to, to find me attractive then. That unfortunately, because of the society we live in, we've equated attractiveness with worth, mm. right? That if you find me attractive, that means I'm worth something. I'm worth more, right? And of course, I, I, I'll have, and this is kind of taking a, a slight detour, but I'll have people say things like, I, I just need to figure out what my worth is. And I say, well, let, you know, can we just take a moment? Hmm. I want to tell you something that might be a surprise to you. The truth is you have no worth. <laughs> That's the <Flash>. truth. <laughs> now, let's break that down. What, what, what's implying that you have worth means is that there's something that, about you that goes up and down in value. As a human being, that's not possible for us. That, that we are truly born out of the supernova stars, right? That the energy that sustains our body is exactly the same energy that has always existed and will always exist. It does not, it's immutable. There's nothing in the universe that can diminish the energy that sustains our body. And so when we buy into this trope of worth, we've lost sight of that and given our power over to other people's opinions. Right? So reframing that, or get, not even reframing, just getting rid of that idea, that notion that my partner's perceptions of me determines my worth. Right? At the same time, they have a right to their own experience of what they find attractive or unattractive. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of that is certainly cultural, right? But often a lot of it is just preference. You know, there are certain artists that I love and there are certain artists that I don't, I, I don't, just, I don't get, right? Where other people love it, love it. It seems like recently preference has been an issue. Like that's a problematic idea is to have preferences. But, but I think the way you break it down is, is going to have people thinking about it, is that you can feel about yourself any way that you want. It doesn't obligate anyone else to feel a certain way mm-hmm. or to be attracted to you or however it is. But I also think that, and, and you're right, if you're going to have a monogamous relationship container then that's something that you need to have a very specific conversation about to, to be able to say, listen, I'm happy that you're happy with yourself or that you love yourself, but it's affecting how it's affecting my level of attraction to you and my desire for you. What do we do about that? Right. But just like so many things, Nobody's talking about it. It just gets swept under the rug. One partner gets shamed while the other one gets congratulated. Yeah, you love yourself. Who cares? 
and then people get shamed for having preferences or, or liking someone, you know, you, there's an initial attraction that you have with, with the partner that you're with. And is there something wrong with liking that and just saying, you know, there's been a distance away from that or the other, you know, I think that's so interesting that that case study about she was upset that her partner found her more attractive, but there's probably a lot of different ways that she's showing up as, you know, after that surgery, she's chosen to have that surgery for a reason, obviously. And then, right. Like maybe there's a difference in the way she's feeling about herself or the way she's showing up that he's responding to, not just necessarily about size. And it does. And attraction doesn't necessarily have to do with size either. Like, how much of how much of attraction has to do with size or the attitude about that size where it's like, well, I don't even, I don't care anymore. Like you're my husband, you have to be here. It doesn't matter. Like, is that the part that's unattractive, right? Rather than just mm-hmm. the size, it, yes. it could be, yeah. there's a lot of, of different nuances that you need to pull apart and have that conversation about what is attractive and what isn't. And like you said, if it's a societal expectation, is that real? Like there's a lot of men out there who prefer larger women that don't want to talk about it and don't want to admit it because they think they're going to get made fun of by their friends. And it sounds oversimplistic, but that's a a thing. It sure is. There's there's a cousin to this that we haven't talked about. And that is the concept of I should love myself. Mm. And I don't believe that either. Every time I hear that again, I throw up a little bit in my mouth. (laughs) We're going to call this unpopular opinions by Dr. Tom Murray. (laughs) I love myself. Well, let's just take a look at that. Imagine the, imagine believing I should love myself and you don't how much worse you feel. Yeah. You're going to feel like garbage, right? We tell people you should love yourself, but if you, if you're the world tells me I should love myself, but I don't love myself. I now feel worse. Mm -hmm. Right. The reality is you are not entitled to feel good about yourself. We know that to be true. How do we know? Because if you believe you are entitled and yet you don't feel good about yourself, you feel worse. <laughs> right? Prove the it. truth is, is that you, you have strengths and you have weaknesses and neither of which determine your worth, neither of which are a reflection of who you are as a human being. So, so, so instead of self-esteem, we can transition to self-acceptance, which is that body positivity, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I, you know, I get to move towards accepting myself, right? And, and when you are fully accepting of yourself, that gives you the grounding that's helpful in then accepting other people and their strengths and limitations. And that's what love, you know, that's really the root of love, right? Love at, at, its, at its basic is acceptance, right? That I, I don't need you to be different. Mm-hmm. So what do, you, what do you say to people then who have that mismatch where, you know, you may be accepting of yourself, but you're at a point now where I'm not feeling the way I did before, like, what do you say to them? Go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't know where to go from there. (laughs) 
I don't know what to do with that. I know what to do with that. (laughs) (laughs) I love getting Dr. Murray to swear. It's the best thing. thing. No, you know, again, we, what is underneath that? What is underneath that, that question is this belief that love is magical. Mm -hmm. When you find it, it's forever. But the truth is people change, Mm -hmm. right? And and when we accept that change is inevitable, then we have a degree of flexibility around it. Once again, I am not entitled to my partner's love. I'm not entitled to my kids' love. I'm not entitled to my parents' love. And they're not entitled to mine. That what makes it a wonderful union is that we're choosing each other. Yeah, absolutely. It's not the it's not an entitlement. It's the choosing. I had a couple this morning. We talked a little bit about that idea of waking up every day saying, "I choose you. I choose you today." Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not going to promise that I'll choose you tomorrow. I have no fucking clue, but I can know that I'm choosing you today. Mm-hmm. But what happens is that too, too often couples go through this, this, this delusion that they, they will always be chosen. And that moral hazard, they'll always be chosen. That moral hazard is then what opens the space for vulnerability. And I don't mean vulnerability in the kind of good sense, but that the relationship now has risks. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like that garden that you plant the seeds, you do all that wonderful stuff. You know, you do the premarital counseling and you, you know, you do all of that, setting the, the groundwork for a wonderful garden. You plant the seeds, but then you never do anything to it again. You don't pull the weeds, you don't water it, you don't add fertilizer, you don't do the, the daily maintenance that will likely produce a wonderful crop. And then you're wondering why down the road you're having the problems that you're having. Mm. It's like, well, I, I married you. I chose you. Married yeah. you. You're like, okay. And? And? Yeah, that it's, it's, I love that analogy. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And we've talked a lot before about relationship apathy and how, like you said, a lot of, I mean, some relationships blow up because they're problematic or abusive or just plain bad. But a lot of, I think a lot more of them fail because of apathy and that, and that moral hazard where you just think, well, you know, you, you can't go anywhere. Yes, they can. They, people can go wherever they want to go. Right. They, they can. It reminds me of that Chris Rock in one of his comedy specials where he's like, man is only as loyal as his opportunity. Like, you love that line. I do you? love that <laughs> line. <laughs> because there's a lot of truth to it. No, it did. only if you're... Listen, I'm going to take issue with that because <laughs> you have lots of opportunities. I have lots of opportunities. And because we don't engage in that moral hazard... Yes, but but that's... But that... that <laughs> finger on the chest. That's... But that is that is because of... A, of in, in We always like jokingly call it monogamous straight land. Vanilla straight, the vanilla straight land oh. story, right? Where if you're in a monogamous relationship, mm-hmm. there's that assumption that, well, you know, you're, you're, but it's opportunity. It's different in our sort of situation because it's not a monogamous commitment, right? 
well, opportunities are opportunities for us both. Right. So, <laughs> oh, I was just. I sucked some dick and I like it. <laughs> there we go. Right. <laughs> I think that's where we should wrap this up. Perfect. With our, please, please keep your ears open for our remix of yeah. Katy Perry's. Dropping on uh, <laughs> Spotify and iTunes soon, right? <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Murray, thank you so much for, for joining us again today. I think I, I, I love I love our check-ins with you and just talking about whatever is top of mind when when we do check in. It's always such a pleasure to have you and have a giggle and 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 have some some real conversation about real issues that people are are talking about and thinking about. So yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dr. Murray. <laughs> Talk to you. I know go in peace and not in pieces. There yeah! we go. <laughs> That was so much fun. Oh my God, I love him. <laughs> you know, it, I, you can go online and you can see what Dr. Murray looks like, but I, I kind of, this is one of those episodes where I sort of wish we did video because I love his reactions to shit that we say. Yes. It's so expressive <laughs> and yeah, just full of awesomeness. I hope that comes through. Yeah. I mean, it. I feel like his enthusiasm and his sarcasm and his wit and all of that definitely comes through in the audio. So mm -hmm. you're not losing anything there, but it's just like an added bonus. Yeah. We'll, do, we'll have to do a meetup somewhere. So Absolutely. You can, so you can open the borders. Yeah. Soon we'll have to do that. Yeah. So if you, if you like the episode, please give us a review, leave us a review, share. Mm -hmm. If you think somebody will enjoy it, um, really helps us out. Please feel free to send us an email or a DM. Mm -hmm. um, with any comments or questions or future show ideas, we are working on a mailbag episode. We so are. that is always exciting to think about. And also for all of you who are listening on Apple Podcasts, they're changing it now to follow instead of subscribe. So, oh. so follow, like and follow the podcast, however you get your podcast. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Bye. Bye.